installment of the Big Big East Show. I'm your host, Chris Walker. Villanova class of 92 coming to you live from NYC, the epicenter of the basketball world. I know some people are going to be upset about that, but that's all right, though. I'm a Big East guy, and I'm going to keep it true to the game. Welcome, everybody. This is going to be absolutely an amazing show. Uh, Chris Walker here again. Give you a little bit of back a background on myself, uh, originally from Houston, Texas. And you say, what is a guy from Houston, Texas doing a show on the Big East for? Well, I played in the Big East, right? Not only did I play in the Big East, I played for one of the most historic coaches, greatest coaches should be in the Hall of Fame, not there yet, Roley Massimino. And uh, this this subject has always been near and dear to my heart. And I've always sat around and said, I want to do a – a show on the Big East one day. Um, and now here I am. Uh, again, Chris Walker from Houston, Milby High School, proud, loud and proud. And you say, well, what what made you go to the Big East, right? What, why, why, why in the world would you leave Texas with all those great schools, all that real estate of this great country to go to Villanova? They actually call it Vanilla Nova, but anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, I'll tell you why. So think about it. Had a great career uh, as a high school player. And in 1985, I'm dating myself right now. All the women, be cool. Don't get mad at me. But I'm dating myself right now. 1985, there was the Georgetown Hoyers. Some of you guys, you younger kids, don't remember. But the older guys, like myself, uh, we remember Georgetown used to be the thing. They were the thing. Everybody had a Georgetown hat. Everyone had a Georgetown sweatshirt. Big Big John Thompson. And there was a guy by the name of Patrick Ewing. Uh, that was playing for Georgetown, and they were called Hoya Paranoia back then. So when I was a kid in Houston, Texas, this team called Villanova. Who in the hell was Villanova? I was from Texas. I had no idea who Villanova even was. They're playing Georgetown for the national championship game in Lexington, Kentucky, and lo and behold, would you know that these guys to this day, to this day, shot the highest percentage ever in the NCAA tournament with no three-point line. It was the last time that they played a national championship game with no three-point line. So they beat them. Uh, One of my good friends who we'll have on the show at some point, Mr. Ed Pinckney, right, from the Bronx, uh, Adelaide Stevenson High School, was the Final Four MVP, played in the NBA for a long time. He's a scout for the Houston Rockets now. And and, uh, I'm going to get this done. It's going to be a tall order, but I'm telling him to get this done. Ed Pinckney and Patrick Ewan have never sat in the same room together and did a show, one of the most historic games of all time. But I'm going to get that done on this show. I promise you that. That's for sure. But, again, Georgetown beats Villanova, and I'm sitting there going, like, what the heck just happened? I'm crying like a baby because I love Georgetown so much. And would you believe it, three years later, guess where I end up going to college? The Villanova Wildcats, and I chose them over the Georgetown Hoyers. You can't make that up. I'm telling you right now, you cannot make that up. So, uh, again, uh, I'll get back to that uh, and my affection for the Big East, but uh, I was blessed, again, to play at Villanova for one of the greatest coaches of all time in my mind. And then after that, um, I became a coach myself. I thought I was going to be a basketball uh, player in the NBA, as we all do. Uh, But guess what I thought I was, though? I thought I was a singer. Sung at the Apollo Theater. People won't believe that, right? Performed at the Apollo. Producer Jared over there giving me eyes right now. That's right, boy. 
I could sing that thing. And uh, and I wrote and produced something, too. So if I can find something, how about this? When I was a senior at Villanova, I wrote, so they would have this big video every year for uh, the banquet. It would be the big banquet. I wrote and produced a song for that banquet that they played at Madison Square Garden, you know, looped it game after game after game. Don't you guys try to find that. But um, I, uh, again, was a coach, thought I was going to be a player, couldn't play, thought I wanted to be an actor, moved out to L.A. Uh, then I became a coach at Loyola Marymount when I found out that starving artists, you know, I really focused on the word starving because the artist part comes a lot later and you got to be really lucky to actually get that part. So um, uh, a couple of failed jobs later, I actually auditioned for the movie Blue Chips. I don't know if you guys remember Blue Chips. Didn't get the part. That's why I'm sitting here right now. But didn't get that. Moving forward, became a coach. Uh, Loyola Marymount University. I don't know if you guys remember Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball uh, back then. Uh, leaving there. Again, basketball, college basketball is a mobile profession, so you move around a lot. And uh, if you want to get a really good job, you got to chase the job. You have to chase the job and you have to move. And uh, so then I went to a school called Vanderbilt in Nashville. Uh, that was an experience. Uh, they call it the Bible Belt for a reason. Uh, if you don't bring your Bible, they will give you the belt. And so um, uh, moved to Vanderbilt. Great experience. Was associate head coach there. Worked for a guy named Jan Van Bredikoff. And a lot of you on the East Coast will know Jan Van Bredikoff. Played for the New Jersey Nets back in the day. But his dad was Butch Van Bredikoff, who coached Wilt Chamberlain. Right. Uh, famously did not put Wilt Chamberlain back in the game when they uh, had a chance to beat uh, uh, to win uh, the world title. And that's what he's famously known for. But Butch Van Bredikoff uh, coached at Hofstra as well. Um, he's a legend. Uh, well, you know, depends on who's talking, whether he's a legend or not. But work for him. Uh, then we were unceremoniously shown the door and we had to leave and go to Pepperdine. That's hard, right? We leave Nashville and move to Malibu. Uh, people would think like, oh, my God, that's the worst thing in the world. Not so not so bad, because when we went to Mar uh, Pepperdine, first of all, I didn't realize, you know, how great it was living on the coast of L.A. Like if you really want to know what L.A. is like, drive down to PCH, you'll understand it. But here's the little caveat. I had to live through the canyon because I couldn't afford to live on the water. You know, I wasn't a movie star, but I lived through the canyon on the other side in Woodland Hills. But great experience nonetheless. Again, left the SCC, go to the WCC. It's not like the Gonzaga WCC now. And sometimes closed doors, you know, uh, this, this podcast, this show will have some inspirational stuff to it. Sometimes closed doors can open up some amazing uh, avenues for you and uh, options for your life. Um, when we went there, you know, I thought it was the worst thing in the world. But what ended up happening, that was the first year that Pepperdine or anybody that league had really unseated Gonzaga. Everyone knows Gonzaga as the power they are now. But back then, um, Pepperdine beat them, was the first team to receive an at-large bid. And guess who we play in the first round of the NCAA tournament? We play Bobby Knight in Indiana in Buffalo. Right? So everyone – including my old coach who was at the game, by the way, Coach Massimino. I sat with him the day before. I said, we're going to destroy those guys. He looked at me and says, you guys are out of your mind. You guys have no chance of winning. Be, put a 20-piece on them with no sauce, of course. Just ate them. Just ate the nuggets, no sauce. Just put a 20-piece on them, destroyed them. And, uh, and coincidentally, that was the last game that Bobby Knight ever coached at Indiana because the next fall is when he choked the kid and he was done. So he never coached again. There's some irony to this whole Bobby Knight thing. He ends up going to Texas Tech. So um, leave Pepperdine. And then I said before when I started this podcast that I played at Villanova. 
the gentleman that recruited me to Villanova was named Steve Lapis. Steve Lapis was, Lapis was a tremendous Big East coach. He was actually the head coach at Manhattan uh, College uh, before he be, uh, became the uh, head coach at Villanova. But guess what player that he coached in high school? Uh, he coached Rod Strickland. So all these things, like it's just like the, the East Coast of basketball just has so many stories, you know, that and all this stuff is going to tie in. And you'll see the, you know, the reason why this show is going to be so, so pivotal and unbelievable in the basketball space. But uh, he he, um, he recruited me to Villanova. And when we had an amazing year at Pepperdine, he brought me back to Villanova. So I had a chance to go back there and coach with him. And uh, again, I'm just running through my timeline so you guys can get an idea of who I am and and my journey. And after one year, I'm like, oh, my God, finally, you know, finally got to Villanova. I'm all happy and like, oh, wow. And guess what happens? He leaves and goes to UMass and I go with him. I'm like, wow. Now, I'm not going to get mad at anybody. I'm sure there's some people from Massachusetts. Drew, I don't know where you're from Massachusetts. I don't know where you're from. Western Mass sucks. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to leave it right there. Western Massachusetts sucks. It's a ton of snow. And if you've ever been to a stopping shop and you can't see the stopping shop sign, it's probably not a place you want to live. That's how high they pile the snow. So was there, I want to say four years, and it was three years, 364 days too long, right? That's how bad it was. It was just cold, you know, not a great transition. We had some good times there. Uh, but I don't. I really learned how to drive 95 to get to New York because I probably left every weekend to come to the city. Uh, but uh, was at UMass, not the same UMass John Cali, Calipari built, but it was a good time nonetheless. Got to work with Steve Lapis, still a good friend to this day. Then guess what I did? So uh, my brother passed away. He had a disease that he had for a long time. Uh, died from pancreatic cancer. Tough time in my life. Had always been away from home. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make a decision to go back home to Houston. And lo and behold, and you'll see this influence also in this show, the summer basketball AAU world will kind of intersect with what we're doing in this show as well. We'll have some of those guys in here. One of the first guests we're going to have in is Gary Charles, who coached the New, uh, New York Panthers, who had like Lamar Odom and Charlie Villanueva uh, that played at uh, Connecticut. I mean, just I mean, it's just going to be a smorgasbord of, of, of New York or uh, East Coast field in the show because there's so many people that contributed to the history of the Big East Conference, and we need to bring that back so people understand what actually happened uh, when Dave Gavitt had this unbelievable idea to put this conference together. Um, so my, my, my ex-roommate, when I lived in California, there was a guy named Sonny Vaccaro. So if you guys don't know him, look him up. Uh, he had a, uh, a, a documentary done by him on 30 for 30. Um, I want to say a soul man. Uh, he was the guy that literally was the the reason that Jordan became Jordan. People don't know that. Look it up. No matter what they tell you, all right, no matter what you read, Phil Knight, probably a great guy, Sonny Vaccaro was the reason this happened. He changed the culture of basketball and marketing as we know it today. There's no Kevin Durant shoe. There's no LeBron James shoe. There's no Kobe Bryant shoe. I don't know if you guys remember the Crazy Eight. That was before you were born, Gerard. So, I mean, if you don't know those shoes, this guy was the guy, the T-Mac. All that stuff originated from Sonny Vaccaro. He was the ABCD camp they used to run in T-Neck, New Jersey. There's not a person alive that's probably in the NBA right now, the older guys, or in basketball that does not know the influence that the uh, ABCD camp had uh, on, on, on college basketball and really the Big East as well. But used to have it right there at uh, T-Neck, New Jersey, at Fairleigh Dickerson University. Um, but what happened was, to me, Darren Kalish was his name, 
he ended up replacing Sonny Vaccaro because after LeBron James, I'm giving a little history here, LeBron James was always an Adidas kid. LeBron James wore Adidas all his life. And then Reebok comes in when the, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys saw Survivor's Remorse. They kind of, like, touched on it a little bit, uh, LeBron's little show on HBO. But Adidas, Reebok comes in and gives him a $10 million check. The whole time, Adidas had already promised him, I want to say it was like $80 million. They were going to promise LeBron $80 million. And they came in at like 60 And Nike, who never, who just sat in the shadows the whole time, Nike wasn't really in that game yet. People don't know that. Nike's dominant now, but they weren't in that AAU world, the kids going straight to high school. Because think about it, Kobe, Adidas kid. T-Mac, Adidas kid. All those guys were Adidas guys. Uh, Derrick Rose, Adidas kid, right? So um, what ended up happening was because Adidas told him and made that promise to him and they didn't come in the way they did, Sonny was very upset. You'll see he tells this story in his documentary. Adidas comes in and takes LeBron. Takes LeBron. I'm sorry, Nike comes in and swoops and takes LeBron because they didn't they didn't buy into what Adidas was doing, and because Adidas came in short, and think about it, Adidas did all the investment for years, uh, and now Nike comes in, and bam, LeBron James is a Nike kid, and that really changes. Even though talk, people talk about Jordan, there was a lull there. It was it was LeBron James going to Nike that kind of changed things, uh, tilted it all over again. Uh, but I say that to say that I started a program called the T-Mac All-Stars because T-Mac was in Houston. So... Um, we had a great run. I probably put 30-plus 30, 30 kids at high major basketball, played Division One, but I had an itch to go back. And uh, the one thing I love about my career is I always work for great coaches. I work for really good coaches, you know, and guys that people know, guys that have been super successful and have left an imprint on my life. So I said, you know what, I want to go back to coaching, but I don't know where I want to go, and I don't want to start at the bottom. So this amazing opportunity happens. You guys are going to laugh when I tell you this. So, yeah, I got a chance to go to UCLA. No. I got a chance to go to Kentucky. No, no, no. Not the University of Texas. I ended up at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm telling you right now, it was the best experience I ever had. I worked for a guy named Steve Alford. But I don't know if you remember Steve Alford played in Indiana for Bob Knight. Again, I keep saying Bob Knight thing keeps coming up. We had unbelievable success. Won the conference. Uh, you know, just did some really cool things. And Albuquerque, it's first time, Drew, Gerard, Balloon Fiesta, make sure you meet it. Go, go do it one day. Trust me. Go do it one day. The Balloon Fiesta is off the chain. And uh, it's just a different world out there in Albuquerque. Uh, and uh, it was a great time, but it was only for two years. So I had to get up out of there. That was, that was, I was partying a little bit too hard. Had to get up out of there. It was fun, though, but it was a good place. And we had some great success. Uh, success that helped Steve Alford become the head coach of UCLA. But that same success helped me actually go back to Villanova again. Jay Wright, uh, who I actually played for at Villanova for four years, they had gone to the Final Four. Uh, if you guys remember Scotty Reynolds, uh, Corey Fisher, had some great players during that time, said, hey, Chris, come on back to Villanova. So I go back to Villanova again. We have unbelievable success. I uh, thought we were going back to the Final Four again. Uh, a couple of years, number two in the country, and just doing some amazing things. But I wanted to be a head coach. And, uh, you know, you, you make decisions in life. You don't know if, should I have done this? Should I have done that? Should I have stayed? Should I have gone? And uh, I said, you know what? I'm from Texas. 
I, I want to go back to Texas and see if I can make this thing happen as a head coach. So then I take a job. I leave Villanova, probably like a dummy, but you keep listening, not a dummy. Just, again, taking a chance and betting on yourself. Uh, I believe and I could become the uh, associate head coach at Texas Tech University. Um, get there, work for a guy named Billy Gillespie. You guys probably, some people know him. He, he was a head coach at Texas A&M. He was a head coach at Kentucky. Uh, and uh, he was a, a really, 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 really good coach. Get there, and one thing leads to another. Billy, you know, doesn't finish, finish his tenure, and I become the head coach at Texas Tech University. I mean, you can't make this up. There's a lot of stuff to color in between. doesn't matter. But uh, I, for a year, I become the head coach at Texas Tech, and I'm thinking, like, wow, I'm going to be here forever. And, uh, you know, again, the best laid plans. And I, I have a decent year. First time being a head coach, Big 12. I mean, just an amazing experience. Learned a lot about myself. And I'm like, okay, I have a really good chance to get this job. We play West Virginia in a Big 12 tournament. We beat Bobby Huggins. I'm like, I'm going to be the next head coach at Texas Tech. You know, got them big fat checks, Drew. I had them checks. Like I'm telling you right now, those huge checks. And you want that to continue. And I did not get the job. And they replaced me with Tubby Smith. So how can I argue? You know, they replaced you with a Hall of Famer. So get out of business one more time and then I go work for Under Armour right I become a brand ambassador for Under Armour great experience help them sign universities but I also have a summer team too because I still have that itch to coach put another probably 15 kids in college at high major universities some still are playing right now and uh, just had an amazing time with Under Armour great company uh, and some amazing people that you know too many to name that, that gave me a, a lot of support and uh, for some reason around the country, I was always known as the Under Armour guy. I still can't shake it. You know, that every time I see Under Armour, I just, I cringe. I can't even buy Nikes. That's how much I loved Under Armour. I loved Under Armour that much. Uh, moved to Maryland, the whole dine, fun experience. And then did that for a few years and contemplated going back to coaching, was doing radio. And during that same time, I started working for CBS Sports. I got a job, eventually, you know, life's all about relationships. I uh, got a job uh, at CBS because Steve Lapis, who I played for and worked for, was the uh, top announcer at CBS. Got me an audition with him, and uh, and I've been there ever since. But he he made that happen. So worked for CBS for three years, but got an itch one more time. And I you know I need a sledgehammer. You ever watch like the Road Runner? Was it Acme when the the thing falls on a coyote? That's me. Like I need that thing because I don't know why I chose to go back to coaching, but. Again, you know, closed doors, open doors, who knows. Moved to San Francisco, and I started working for the University of California, Berkeley. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to San Francisco, right? But uh, it's one of the prettiest uh, cities that you ever want to go to. And Berkeley is a different place. You know, you know Oakland is a different place. Uh, they got a few issues out there they need to handle. Uh, we're not going to go into that. We don't do politics, Drew. Slow me down. Put the buzzer on me. It's a different place now. Uh, but I had an amazing time. You know, Sausalito, shout out. All the people. I lived across the street from Twitter. I live in between Uber and Twitter headquarters. Right? Used to work out with the with the guy who used to run Uber. Who actually, well, I don't want to get into that. But he lived in the building. Like all these tech people lived in the building. And if you live in New York, you're always like, man, I know how much it costs to live in this building. You look like you're 12. How do you afford delivery? Like, they have a lot of money out there in, in Silicon Valley. I mean, it is amazing. So living around Airbnb, LinkedIn, like all those places are all there. Uh, it was an amazing experience. 
changed the way I looked at a lot of things. I had a chance to go work for a guy. I, I, I mentioned before I was the uh, assistant coach at Loyola Marymount, where I started my career. One of my players was named Wyking Jones. And coincidentally, he becomes a head coach at Cal and then wants me to join him for his first job. And it was, again, it was an amazing experience, a learning experience, but it was two years too long in a lot of ways. He ended up being let go after two years, and then I have to make a decision. You know what? I hope CBS allows me to come back uh, to become an announcer. So I moved to New York, and this is where I am now. So that was a long, drawn out, but it was a little, you know, some color in between. But that's, you know, how I got to where I am now. And uh, so doing TV and CBS, great time, great time. I mean, just I love it. CBS, great company. Travel during the pandemic, things done remotely. I don't know if people understand the pandemic. It was very difficult for a lot of people. You know, CBS, I call it the Tiffany of networks, uh, you know, kept us working. Uh, we would go to Clifton, New Jersey to the remote site, uh, work in studio and uh, it uh, right here in New York uh, at the broadcast center. So, you know, kudos to them for keeping this thing moving. But what I said to myself, I said, you know, what's funny. I was listening to Sirius XM radio. I said, wow, they own NCAU. They got the Big 12's got their own channel. Oh, good. You know, the the uh, ACC's got their own channel. Wow, SEC, uh, Pac-12. I'm like, wow, they have all these channels. And I'm saying to myself, where's the Big East channel? You know, the Big East won the championship in 16 with Villanova. Proudly, I'll say it again. They wanted to get an 18 with Villanova, and it's been an unbelievable conference. I'm like, well, what, where's the representation? And I said to myself, and it planted a seed in my head, like, somebody's got to do a show to hype the Big East. Like, this doesn't make sense, right? This conference, plus we're right here in New York. That's the epicenter. Madison Square Garden. I don't know if you've ever been to the Big East tournament in your life. Go to a Knicks game. Cool. Go to the Brooklyn Nets, cool. Come to the Big East, ding, 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 ding. Trust me, it will be an experience that you'll never forget because it is amazing to see all those teams come in and all their fans come in and all the guys from Wall Street, uh, you know, come in and, and watch the, the Big East. It is nothing like it, particularly when you get to the semifinals uh, and the finals. And I said, you know what? Got to do a show. Got to do a show. Um, and here we are today with the big Big East show. I don't know if people understand you know, going back uh, to the early 80s and, and talking about why why the Big East. People have to understand when ESPN, right, with the, uh, when ESPN started, they had no programming. People don't, you know, they look at it now, like you have to do some digging. I always tell people, like, when you see a guy that's a billionaire, you know, yes, maybe, uh, maybe like less than 1% of them started as billionaires. Go look at their life. They probably were some guys that invented something. They probably got an unbelievable story, right, that you will never believe, uh, i.e. Kevin Plank from Under Armour. You hear his story. It's like, whoa, like, really? Like, you did that? And you can't even believe it half the time. But those things happen like that. The Big East was a story like that, and so was ESPN. So the NBA used to be tape delayed. I don't think people know that. So the NBA was not live. The way you're watching NBA TV, the way you watch them on ESPN and LeBron, the NBA, baseball was the sport. Baseball was the national pastime, still is. Football wasn't even as popular as it is now. It was baseball, baseball, baseball. Basketball, think about it. Imagine the NBA playoffs, the finals, tape delayed. So you know the score, and then you could watch it later. That's how it was back then. So, the, so they needed programming. So the Big East, right, and this is for cable. I don't know if any, any people know the story of uh, Bill Rasmussen who started ESPN, 
and uh, and the way he started it. Just a quick aside, he he went in to buy a um, a satellite, and they says, you know, he says, can I get a satellite? Because he used to be a news reporter, and back when I was a kid. You, you would get like five minutes to talk about sports and it would be on to, you know, Al Roker and talk about the weather for like 99 minutes. Like like they can really predict it, like people, you know, whatever. But people are obsessed with the weather. I, I don't get that. Nevertheless, um, he says, well, you can buy this 24-hour satellite for the same price that you buy the hour satellite. He's like, really? So lo and behold, he buys a satellite and now ESPN is 24 hours. Everything followed after that. So what did they need? They needed programming. They needed programming. So the big companies, NBC, ABC, and CBS, you couldn't steal anything from them. So they have back if you look at ESPN in the eighties, you'll see like, yo, they got, you know, dog soccer on. Like they will put anything on, right? Anything would be on ESPN. You'd be like, what is this? You know? And uh so the Big East saw a prime opportunity um to build a conference. And they said, you know what? The way we have to build it, right? Because we don't have football, the way we have to build it is with the major sports markets on the East Coast. That's a brilliant idea. Matter of fact, here's the other caveat. We have to play in big arenas. We have to play in the pro arenas. So the Boston uh, College, so the Boston College Eagles, right, they're in the ACC now, but they were original member. They played in where the Celtics played, right? They played, uh, and then Villanova played where the Sixers played in the Spectrum. Um and obviously St. John's played at Madison Square Garden. Georgetown played where they called the Cap Center now back in the day. I mean, it was all, it was that type of thing. The Seton Hall played in the Meadowlands. Uh, it was just like big arena. But you know what they needed, though? So they create this conference, nine schools. Uh, they create this amazing conference. They say, but there's one thing we got to get. We got to get a signature player to not go to Carolina, to not go to Duke. That's from the East Coast. Because kids in the East Coast didn't have that option back then. There was no mega conference. People don't understand. There was no mega conference. So they didn't. They would go to Kentucky. They would go to, like, South Carolina. Like, if you look at back in the day, like, some of the players, you're like, yo, why would that guy go to Georgia? You know, that's what it was. Why would Bernard King go to Tennessee? Right? Because the Big East did not exist like that back then. So they had this brilliant idea to say, yo, let's build this conference. And they built it. Obviously, they had to get all the priests on board. I mean, UConn was the, was the one state, UConn and Pitt, shall I say, uh, was a, uh, the two state schools. And how about this? Like, you know, it was like, should we take Penn State or should we take uh, Pitt? You know, it was all those kind of discussions. Which one fits, you know, better? Because it's all about media markets. So the Big East, people got to realize why you, you know, put ESPN with it. It was all about conquering the media markets. So think about the different teams. New York, Boston with the Boston Garden and the Celtics, New Jersey, D.C., you know what I'm saying? Connect, well, Connecticut, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I don't, I don't want to kill Connecticut. But but I'm just saying, like, they wanted to make sure they had everything captured so they got all the major cities, Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh and and, forth, and, and so forth and so on. Providence, it's all of the cities are along the Eastern Corridor. They want to make sure they had those wrapped up. So they built this thing. And now who was the signature player that changed everything? Gerard, I don't want to put you on buzzer beater right now because I know you don't know, but I told you earlier, and I don't know if you're paying attention. Patrick Ewing was the guy that changed everything. Patrick Ewing was the guy that changed everything because John Thompson, Big John, got Mike Jarvis Jr., who ended up being a head coach at where? St. John's. He was the, he was the coach of Patrick Ewing at, at his high school in Boston. He was the signature guy that changed the Big East because once Patrick Ewing went to 
to Villanova, I'm sorry, once he went to Georgetown, everybody was like, it's cool to go to the Big East. And the rest is history. Like, everybody start going, right? Which, you know, again, with ESPN starting Big Monday and all that stuff, you know, all these different networks just didn't exist back then. Dick Vitale, like, if you were on the Big – if you played in the Big East, it was like, you know, the SEC is cool with Georgia and Kentucky. Yeah, not on TV like the Big East. The ACC with, you know, with Len Bias back then, and they had, like, you know, Michael Jordan, those guys played that league. I mean, and they, I mean the, the ACC was still a really good league. But because of ESPN and Big East and how they joined together and they created this power conference where everything ended and culminated in Madison Square Garden, it made it the hottest thing on the planet. So I, I can go back. I just called him the other day. I said, bro, you coming on this show, I don't care what, Walter Berry from New York, unbelievable player. You talk about guys like Chris Mullen. You know, again, I mentioned Patrick Ewing. You talk about Derek Coleman, Billy Owens, the list. I mean, I can name a Mark Jackson who's on uh, ESPN now. Like, the list goes on and on of guys that have played Sherman Douglas, you know, and Reggie Williams. Like, Georgetown used to be the scariest team in the world. You know, they didn't even talk to the media back then. It was just, it was just scary. That press was just ridiculous and suffocating. And uh, and and from that, from that, John Thompson became the first African American coach to win a national championship. You know, which is, you know, which was an unbelievable thing. So, the the Big East just has a unbelievable history. And I'm telling you, as we go through this show, and as we bring guests on, my first one of the first guests I'm going to bring on is uh, uh, John Rothstein, my colleague at CBS. He's an amazing. Like he's a superhuman computer when it comes to knowledge, like knows everything about this league. Uh, he's one of the guys who will give us a rundown of each of each team and, you know, what their highs and lows, what their chances of playing, in, you know, for the NCAA tournament. Uh, and the projection, UConn back in the league, which is great. They were gone for a long time, and, and now they're one of the favorites all over again with Danny Hurley, who I played against when he played at Seton Hall, who's now the head coach at UConn. So I love the history and how it, Chris Mullen, he was at uh, St. John's. He's not there anymore. Patrick Ewing played for Georgetown. Guess what? Now he's back coaching Georgetown. Jay Wright was an assistant now. You know, Jay Wright, uh, who uh, coincidentally I was just with him in Springfield uh, getting inducted to the Hall of Fame. So everybody put their V's up. I know everybody's happy about that. And even the commissioner of the Big East, Val Ackerman, she got inducted into the Hall of Fame as well uh, along with Jay Wright. So that's just so much history with this league. Uh, this is going to be a fun podcast. We're going to have uh, so many different guests from the past and, and the now. You know, because we, we got to recognize what made this league the greatest was the past. And I think that's what people don't get to see uh, because we have so much stuff on on, on, on the different networks. Uh, you don't really get to see how great this league was. They did a 30 for 30 on it, but I, I don't think they did it justice. But we're going to do it justice on this show. You, you're going to hear from some people that you were like, wow, that guy played in the Big East. Yeah, that guy played in the Big East. And the, and the cool thing about the Big East is because they've had some changes, you also are going to get some of the teams that are in other leagues, like Louisville. They were a part of the Big East. West Virginia, they were a part of the Big East. Uh, you know, again, Syracuse, not there anymore, but they've had unbelievable players from you know, from so many eras. They're a part of the Big East, but not anymore. Pitt, I mean, I got two guys that were I was talking to the other night. They're itching to come on, and they hate Villanova. And I'm like, yo, that's why we ran y'all out of the Big East. But, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. But those guys, everybody's like, yo, I want to come on and talk about my experience in the Big East and the wars. I, I mean, I got a million stories uh, of stuff that used to happen, people throwing money uh, at one of my former teammates because he did. He decided not to, to uh, go to a certain school. Uh, I'm not going to say where it is, but they're 
uh, mascot of their football team in the NFL is the Steelers. But uh, I'm just saying, like, it's it's just one of those things where we they're gonna they got a million stories. I got a million stories. Uh, we're gonna do zooms. Uh, I'm I'm waiting on the producer uh, Andrew. He's supposed to be the G, and he's supposed to give a come up with a name of a Zoom, but he hadn't come up with me yet. So I'm I'm just waiting him to come up with some with some cool name. We're gonna always have a guy on the screen. We we'll always have someone in, in studio, but we're always gonna have a, a guest Zoom of the week, uh, and it's gonna be really cool. We're gonna it's gonna be a surprise every time, but it's gonna be somebody amazing. Uh, you know, because again, there's so many guys that we can talk about, and uh, and we're also going to do something else. I can't take credit. Use I'm a credit taker. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I got to put it out there. I like to take credit for stuff, but I'm going to give Gerard some credit. I mean, I don't do this often, but he created what we call the Biggie Awards. I like that. You know, so every week we're going to give out whether it's a coach, player, they got a Biggie, and at the end of the year we're going to have the all Biggie first team, all Biggie second team, Biggie player of the year, Biggie coach of the year. It's going to be cool. The Biggies. I mean, and we hope people jump on on board with that, especially with social media and and follow the show. But uh, we're just going to do some cool stuff, and uh, I'm I'm certainly excited uh, uh, where this thing could go. Doing it in New York, I think, is is central because a lot of a lot of that energy comes out of New York. I mean, New York has thought of the birthplace of, of basketball. Obviously, basketball is expanded like crazy now, but we're going to bring it back to the house. We're going to bring it back to the Big Apple. Uh, so many people come through this city, uh, and we just we definitely want people to be in studio, and we just want to have a, a blast, man. I mean, I mean I, I'm looking forward to it. Put your seatbelts on. Every time this thing comes, it's going to be hilarious, and uh, let's just uh, let's enjoy the ride. But the big not the Biggie Show, the Big Biggie Show uh, will be coming to you. So uh, I'm Chris Walker. I'm going to sign off right now, but uh, you guys look forward to it again. Let you know when we're coming out, and I will see you soon. Peace.